Father, we thank you for another opportunity that not only to be together, but to sit at your feet, Lord, to, to learn, uh, to be instructed, to be educated, Lord, to be discipled in the ways of the Lord. And we ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, give us understanding hearts. Uh, Lord, more than anything, help us to grasp what we do here and may it lead to further our love for you, uh, Lord, our love for the responsibilities and duties that you have given to us in Christ. And Lord, that we would um, be what we have been made and created to be, uh, Lord, according to your glory. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We um, are going to continue looking at Psalm 8, a psalm we started last week. Uh, psalm 8 is a psalm that is a praise uh, to God's glory and man's dignity. Uh, you may find that in, in some of your headings. It's enumerated many different ways, but it is a psalm that highlights the majesty and power and glory of God and his creation with man being the focal point. So I'm going to read the psalm and then we'll open up its parts, uh, beginning at verse 1. Starting at least with the title. For the choir director on the Getith, a psalm of David, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth who have displayed your splendor above the heavens from the mouth of infants and nursing babes. You have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you would, that you take thought of him or the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower then God, you have crowned him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also all the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Well, beloved, last week we just opened up the psalm and the, the one point that we made and emphasized throughout the lesson was uh, praise is becoming of a Christian. It is fitting for a Christian to offer praise to God. Now, the idea of it being fitting is like a puzzle piece. It's if you have a puzzle and there's a piece missing, it, uh, missing it's that piece that sort of, well, completes the picture. Praise is something that completes the Christian life. It's fitting it's proper. It's, it's just as uh, praise to the Christian is just like the human body with a head. It's natural. It's normal. When we see a human body, we expect it to have a head. We expect it to have two arms and hands and feet and legs and whatnot. And we expect it to talk. And I mean, all of these various things that are natural to the human anatomy. Praise is like that for the Christian. It is becoming it is part of that Christian's DNA. And this is what we see in the Psalms, and this is what we see even particularly in this Psalm. 
Well, let's look at the structure and we'll even have a clearer picture of it. In verse one, we find a benediction. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. It ends with a benediction. Verse nine, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The psalmist, David, in this case, he sandwiches the doctrine between these two benedictions, highlighting that the, what's in the middle is worthy of praising God for. Now, let's look at some of the contents and then we'll just continue to broaden our understanding of it. In verse two, that is the, the, the structure of the psalm is unique or it's particular. Um, it, it's, um, it's a chiasm. So you open with a benediction, you close with a benediction. In verses two, we have God's rule, right? From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease, all right? That's verse two. Well, verse six, now you don't have God's rule, you've got man's rule. In verse six, you make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and whatever passes through the paths of the sea. So we have a benediction, we have God's rule, we have man's rule. And then we have right there in verse three, notice he says, and when I consider the when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you have thought of him or the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the angels. And these verses is addressing man's unworthiness for the dominion or the glory that God has ascribed to him. Okay. So we see a psalm that is very rich in praise to God. It's, it's, it's encapsulated uh, between two benedictions. What is a benediction? A benediction is a good word. That's what it means in Latin. A benedicte, it's a good word. A good word about whom? About God. Then these are things that we ought to be skilled at, brothers and sisters. We ought to train our lips to be ready to give God praise, to ascribe to him the glory due to his name. In this particular setting, we see how David not only says Lord, but he says our Lord. That is, this praise, this ascribing to the Lord glory, it must be personal. We do not want to be only, we don't want to be guilty of just general worship. It doesn't need to just be a generality. It needs to be, not, it's not just that we ascribe to God's sovereignty or glory because, well, he's God and he's bigger and better and stronger than us. No, he's not just those things. He's our God. He's my God. And that's important. And when we come to praise the Lord, we don't just come to make generalizations about God, which are all true. It's not that it's wrong. What's wrong is for those generalizations to be true and we not own them as our own. That is, he's our God. He is so glorious. He is so magnificent. Why would I not have him as my own God? And that's what makes uh, unbelief so tragic. That's what makes atheism so criminal. 
so morally criminal that God has revealed himself so clearly in his creation that all men are left without excuse and makes atheism even just that much more of a moral crime against God. And that's why it will be judged severely. Now, Psalm 8, as we see in its title there, it, that is from the choir director, on the Giddeth, meaning a style of instrument more than likely, or some t uh, tune, a popular tune. Well, out of the whole Psalter, there are only three Psalms that have this tune or are written for this instrument. Let's look at those and you'll see similarities. So let's look at Psalm 81. Notice, um, well, I certainly don't know the headings you have in your Bibles. Obviously, these are man-made, but again, they're usually pretty close and pretty good. Psalm 81 is about God's goodness, God's goodness, even in the light of wayward children, in this case, Israel. Now, let's look at, now this one's not a Psalm of David, it's a Psalm of Asaph. It's a Psalm of Asaph, but let's just read through those first few verses and you can see the similarities in these Psalms, Psalm 8, Psalm 81, and then we'll look at Psalm 84. It says, sing for joy to God our strength, shout joyfully to the God of Jacob, raise a song, strike a timbrel, the sweet sounding lyre with a harp, blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. He established it for a testimony in Joseph. When he went throughout the land of Egypt, I heard a language that I did not know. I relieved his shoulder of the burden. His hands were freed from the basket. You called in trouble. I rescued you. I answered you in the hiding place of thunder. I proved you at the waters of Meribah. And of course, again, um, this psalm is a praising of God for his goodness and not letting Israel wander off. That is, even when Israel became stubborn and was wayward, what did God do to demonstrate his goodness and his power towards his children? He brought them back. He rebuked them. He chastised them. He did those things that a father does to a child in order to uh, reprimand them and train them in righteousness. And this is what God does. God is praised for that. God is to be praised for that. Now look at Psalm 84. Psalm 84 is one of my favorite psalms. It's a psalm that addresses the longing heart that a believer has toward worshiping God. This is a psalm of Korah. Now, um, this whole psalm is about longing for the worship of the Lord. And let's look at it, verse one. How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The bird also has found a house and the swallow a, a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. How blessed are those who dwell in your house. 
they are ever praising you. It's interesting. And again, we're not going to, this is not our focus, but I'm just showing you a comparison of these Psalms. But look, I mean, here the psalmist even is jealous of the little sparrow. The sparrow makes her nest in the temple. The sparrow is ever in the courts of the Lord. And so the, in, in an artistic form, the psalmist says, oh, how I long for the courts of the Lord. Oh, how I wish I was like even the sparrow who is ever before the face of God, so to speak. And again, it's a, a psalm that teaches us that, again, it's not only fitting for us to praise God, but it's fitting for us to praise God properly. That is, we don't just praise God in our home. We should. You better be doing it. You ought to be doing it. We don't just praise God throughout any various random situations, whether I'm walking down my driveway or driving in my car or, or just doing some random work that I can do two or three things at one time. I'm praising God, thinking about him. But how much more proper is it when we come into the house of the Lord? How much, how much, how great is it for us to be able to, to, to teach ourselves and to learn to do what? Lay our burdens at the threshold of this entrance of the temple of God. Go in there with the single mindedness that I am coming to bless the name of the Lord. And that the Lord is going to take care of me. The Lord hasn't forgotten these burdens. The Lord doesn't need me, even though it's not wrong to, to pray and constantly lay our burdens at the feet of the Lord and knock on his altar. That's fine too. The Lord wants that. And we have parables teach us that. But at the same time, we also ought to learn how to give ourselves over uh, single-mindedly to the worship of God so that we can focus on him and praise him and not ourselves. God's not forgotten these burdens. He's going to get to them. He's going to tend to them. Why? Because I promise you, brothers and sisters, what we're going to learn as we go through the Psalms, and especially even Psalm 8, God cares about you. He cares for you. He made you with a certain dignity that is a reflection of his, his glory, and that matters. And that's why we should not squander our existence. That's why we shouldn't waste our time. That's why we don't get, shouldn't not allow ourselves to get caught up in, in nothing, just, just mindless stuff and, and activities that are, you know, doesn't mean you don't recreate, don't, don't miss, don't read into what I'm saying. But stay in focus, stay in consistent, understanding who you are, what you're here to do, understanding why God saved you, understanding why God, I mean, God, look, he didn't make you a dog. He made you a man, a person, male and female. He gave you a dignity that is above all the other creatures. And when we look at Psalm 8, this psalm helps us understand the importance of that dignity because notice just how God is, just as we are to ascribe um, worship to God, praise to God in verse 1, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. God's not, God's displayed his glory. God's displayed his sovereignty. God's put it on display. You put things on display, you want people to know. Well, he's also giving us the opportunity to put our dignity and strength on display. When you look at verse six, you might, you make him to rule over the works of your hands. That's the ambassadorship. That's the emissary aspect of it. Adam and Eve were made emissaries in the name of God. They were to rule over his creation in his name. They would have dominion. They would have put all things under his feet. All sheep, oxen, all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the sea and the fish in the sea and whatever passes through. And this is the, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. You know, this world in its atheism, and this, this antichrist spirit that prevails. I, I mean, part of this antichrist spirit is the exaltation of the animal creations over man. And that's been going on for decades. Uh, you know, when my girls were growing up, we watched a lot of Animal Planet. And, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the science. I enjoyed the, the zoology and all of the, the, the glory that I saw because I know who created everything. But it was never, it was all, it never failed that it was going to take and, and bring man down and exalt animals either on par or above man. Get animal planet. I mean, come on. This is an animal planet. This is God's planet. This is man's planet. This is God's creation and he has placed man over it. And there's, I mean, it's, it's, I tell you, men have taught, and I say men, I'm talking about both, have taught animals to do some amazing things. Look what we do with animals. We harness their skill sets and we train them to do very needful things. Our military trains dolphins to carry out military missions. We train dogs. I mean, we, I mean, look at, you know, when you go to Barnum and Bailey circus, look how they train the elephants. Look how they train the tigers. Look how they train these, these massive, strong, powerful. Why can we do that? Because Psalm 8 teaches us that we've been made with a dignity, a sovereignty, a rule. I'm not going to go, I, won't, I can't remember the exact particular um, verse. There is a passage as Israel is going into the promised land and conquering these tribes. Well, it, it teaches us that the reason God did not allow all of these tribes to be wiped out at one time because what would have happened in these vacancies? Wild animals would have taken up residence there. Wild animals are a problem for people. Well, God didn't do that. In order to protect 
and enhanced the dignity of man, God progressively moved out his enemies. And so as they moved out, man moved in, Israel moved in, they were inhabited. These places were useful. There was a, a need being met the way God orchestrated it all. And the animals never had a chance to rise up over man. We are expected, brothers and sisters, to praise God. Let's look at um, Psalm 63 and verse 1. And that may be offensive. That, that um, you know, that truth may offend some. I know we see, and I, I, I haven't seen this on your car. If you've got this bumper sticker on your car, I'm not attacking you. You know, but it's got Paul's on there and it goes, these are my children. Okay. I, I get it. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not biblically thundering down, but there's a mentality here that I think dilutes the value of this truth, the glory of this truth we're talking about. And we've got to be careful of that. We've got to be careful of diluting sound doctrine, don't we? Some of it, most of it's very subtle, isn't it? And yet at the same time, we all have, who have animals, take care of them and you should. In fact, that's a biblical mandate. If you have an animal, treat it righteously, treat it, you know, treat it, don't be cruel. That's not Christian. I mean, even the biblical law says an ox, don't muzzle the ox while it treads the grain. Let the ox benefit from its labor. And so there are checks and balances here, but what we're talking about is primary. Uh, Psalm 63 and verse one, O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. This psalm teaches us that, that this is the, the heart, right? The essence of praise. It's not just ascribing a fact. It's to yearn, it's to long, that's the point. Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God, O King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. So you can see here the extreme that our praise needs to take. It's that... Uh, this isn't temporary. This is something that is who we are. God is eternal. As long as I live, I shall praise his name. I will yearn for him. I will long for him. Look at Matthew 22, verse And of course, this is Jesus, him being in confrontation with the Pharisees and uh, uh, very clever. I mean, the way Jesus handles his adversaries in these engagements, but Jesus stumps them because of the way he says, if David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? Meaning Jesus was called David's son, theologically. 
He was of the line of David. However, Jesus didn't come into existence when he came to earth. Jesus existed eternally because he's what? God. And he manifested manifested himself as God in the flesh and the Pharisees were wrong for rejecting Jesus. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, listen, here's the problem. You don't know who I am. I'm David's Lord. I'm the one that David ascribed glory and praise to. And you don't see it and you don't understand it. The point being in using this text of scripture is what should the Pharisees have done? They should have praised him. They should have worshiped him and they did not. They rejected him and they they treated him with malice and hatred. Now there can be obviously malice and hatred is not the same as indifference, but indifference is still wrong. You can say, well, I know you're a Christian and I'm just indifferent. I mean, I'm just not convinced. Again, it's sinful to not praise the Lord because of what the Lord has revealed in the earth. It's sinful. Let's go to Philippians 2. I think that's one we are very familiar with and put it in this same light, Philippians 2. I always want to talk about the context of it. It's, I think, always important. And yeah, I just will touch on it. You can look at it and read it yourself. I'm going to summarize it for you. Chapter 1, verse 2, where he talks about being like-minded, having the same mind of Christ. And what was, what was Christ's mindset? Selflessness. He was selfless. He laid aside that dignity for a time so that he could put on human flesh and walk in the obscurity of human experience and lay down his life for sin. And you see this in verse three, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Did not our Lord do that for us? Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, That is, don't just focus solely on that, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and and being made in the likeness of men. Look down at verse 11. He talks about now, this goes from his humiliation theologically to his exaltation. In verse 9, his humiliation is described, the death on the cross. Verse uh, verse 8 is, rather. But verse 9, for this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those uh, those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. What's this name that is Jesus is causing Jesus to be worshiped? Well, it's not Jesus, it's Lord. Adonai, it's Lord, Lord, the Greek word for Lord 
correlates with the Hebrew word for Lord, Jehovah. He's God. Jesus is to be worshiped, not because he did a great thing. He's worshiped because he's God. Now, Jehovah Witnesses have a problem with this. I don't know if you've ever interacted with any of them. But this is why they'll tell you, well, Jesus can't be God. Because, well, that's a breaking of the Ten Commandments because you're to worship only God. Well, you see, the, right? He, the New Testament says Jesus is God in many places, and this is one of them. The reason we ascribe worship now notice what it says here. Notice the, what you've been reading in the Psalms, how it correlates here. God is highly exalted and bestowed on him a name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow those under the heaven, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is God. And because he is God, he is worthy of our worship and our praise. And we can never, you can't escape it. You can say, well, I can worship God, but I don't really worship Jesus. You, you, you can't worship God apart from Jesus. Jesus even addressed that when he said, no man comes to the Father except by me. To have the Father is to have Jesus. To have Jesus is to have the Father. Now we see that, that, that in the mindset of the psalmist, as it ought to be in our mindset, not only are we to be free with our praise toward God, very liberal in our praise, ready to praise at any time, training ourselves to do it, but we must also uh, do it in a sort of, there has to be a theological element to it. That is, there's needs to be, it needs to have substance. And substance in this point, and what I'm referencing as substance, is it has to have truth, theology, doctrine backed up to it. This is why the psalmist compares God to everything else and says nothing compares to him. That is, we're not just praising God with an empty result, we praise God because he is all sovereign. Notice if we go back, when we go back to the psalm, look at the end of verse 1. And you have displayed your splendor above the heavens. You've done something. You, this is what you've accomplished. We're not just praising God because that's what we've been told to do. We are praising God for a reason. He's not just our God, but our God is something. He, we praise him because he has manifested himself. He has revealed his name in all the earth. He's displayed a splendor that's without comparison. Nothing can be compared to it. No matter what man builds, what man creates, it pales in comparison to the creation of God. And, and man has built some amazing things. Personally, because I enjoy that engineering aspect of it, I love looking at marvels, creations that, that man have, well, engineered and put together. Why? Because it's a display of the majesty that God has laid on them. 
It's a reflection of his majesty. It's a reflection of, of, of his intellect in a small part, but it's a portion of it. The order, the structure, the way it all works, beloved, is a reflection of God's majesty and glory. That's why we don't stop just honoring men. We have to go above that and say, Lord, but have you not given this man, this woman, these gifts? It could be an orchestra piece. It could be a musical piece. People that are uh, skilled and blessed by God to put together masterpieces in such a way you just, you, you, you are, you're marveled. It could be athletics, the riding of a horse, the training of a horse, the playing of any athletics or any skill set. You sit back and you admire what they've accomplished and you go, Hey, Lord, look at, look at your, your emissary. Look at the one created in your image. They are but just in a fraction resembling your majesty and glory. That's why I have no problem acknowledging uh, and honoring people that need to be honored. I don't have a problem with it. But I don't stop there. We go beyond that because it gives me another opportunity to do what? Praise God. And we see that not only are we to praise him, but we are to uh, certainly verbalize that, that, well, nothing, nothing is like him. Uh, there is nothing that comes close to him. Uh, Psalm 72. Psalm 72, verses 17 through 19 says, May your name endure forever. May his name increase as long as the sun shines and let men bless themselves by him. Let all nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, or the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone works wonders and blessed be his glorious name forever. And may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. That when we see what men have done and the wonders men have created, that we what? Praise God for them. You know what Nebuchadnezzar was punished for. You know, he spent seven years acting like a crazy man, right? Classic, classic uh, uh, mental breakdown right there in the Bible. But what was it that God brought that mental breakdown upon him? He took credit for what God had gifted him for. He's looking out over, quote, the works of his hands, and he took ultimate credit for it. And God struck him down mentally, where he acted like an animal for seven years. And of course, when Nebuchadnezzar comes out of that, that mental breakdown, what does he do? He praises God. 
He praises God. He praises God's creation. He praises the sovereignty of God. He praises the power of God. And what does he say? When you read that prayer or that praise, he says, there's nothing that compares to God. And we have to have this mindset, my brothers and sisters. I think to combat the days we live in and combat the challenges we face, the subtle, the subtle ways in which we are inundated constantly to water down our view of God, we have to maintain this degree and, and, and heat of praise. Let's move a little quicker. He talks about his name. He talks about the majesty of God and his name. He says, you have displayed your splendor or how majestic is your name in all the earth. God's name, listen, God's name is a revelation of himself. God has many names, dozen names. God has revealed himself and he uses all uh, uh, a list of names in order to help us understand his complexity and depth of, of character and being. You may even have multiple names. Right? You got maybe your mama, uh, daddy, uh, Aubrey, uh, whatever. You may have you, there's many names that you're called by. God is like that. Each one of these names that you're called by is a manifestation of the relationship you have with the one using that name. And God, where do we get that? That comes from God. God has many names. He calls himself by many names. And the reason is that is he's showing us his depth and his glory by each use of these names so that we not only see him as provider, as protector, but as benefactor, as healer, um, as the ancient of days. He sees us as savior, as creator, the fountain spring of life, the spring of life, the rose of Sharon. I mean, the, Lord's, the Lord has manifested in his, his name and that we are without, I mean, listen, you say, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven. But why would you want to go to heaven and stand before God and say, you're going to get there, and I, I, I know this is very humanistic in one sense, but it's the way we experience things. Well, why didn't you praise him more? Or when you get there and you see all the glory, right, you're like, well, I didn't know it was anything like this. I, 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 I probably should have praised him more. Well, what is Scripture teaching us? Scripture is teaching us to be full of praise, to, to know why we're praising him, to exalt him, to, uh, to look at the name that God uses for himself, whether it's the God of power, Savior, Creator. Uh, Jesus is also called the Word. The Word. He's the Logos. He's the revelation. Jesus' life in the Gospels is a revelation of the Father. He shows us something. In fact, John goes as far to say that he has come to this world and he uses this word. He exegetes the Father to us. 
Like we exegete scripture to preach it or to study it or to learn it and to understand it. Jesus came and his life was an exegesis of the Father. You want to know about the Father? Study the life of Jesus. Now, verse 2 is, I think, interesting. We're talking about God's sovereignty. And verse 2 is related to what we talked about this morning. How God, um, it pleases God to bring the wisdom of the philosophers to nothing. That it pleases God to bring the mighty to nothing, right? To display their weakness. Well, verse 2 is similar to that. It says, from the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. Listen, this is who God is. God will ordain praise from children, when he's ready for them to do so and to exalt his strength through these children. And his enemies will be dumbfounded. Where did they get that? You know, there's an interesting correlation um, as I was reading, and, and my tendency is to read very old books, but one of the old, uh, old theologians I was reading paralleled this psalm with uh, David and Goliath. Now you need to, you know, you need to go read chapter 17, second, uh, second Samuel, first Samuel, and read that narrative about David and Goliath. Because there is something here. What do you have going on in this narrative of David and Goliath? Well, you have a giant. And what is that giant doing? Blaspheming God. Cursing God's people. He has struck fear in the hearts of the soldiers of Israel. That giant in his blasphemy, in his taunting, in his challenging of Israel, all of those soldiers were without answer. Saul didn't know what to do. But who does God, how did God ordain praise? With this ruddy kid named David. There's something, there's a parallel here. God doesn't need massive armies to praise his name. It's fine if they do. That's why God told David, don't number Israel. Your strength is not in numbers. And when David did number Israel, God punished him for it. Because the Lord said, you have to trust in me. I am the strength of Israel, not the numbers of these soldiers and horses and chariots. So what do you find? How, how does this ruddy young boy praise God? He goes out there, and you know the story. He slays the, the devil. He slays the giant. Now, I think there's more going on there, certainly a picture of 
evil being conquered, isn't it? How our Lord Jesus comes into this world in such a weakened state. I mean, he's born in a manger. Nothing really to look at. Jesus, I mean, listen, put these memes, these posters, these, these t-shirts that have Jesus with these massive biceps and he's sort of busting out of his robe. That, that, I, I, honestly, I believe that's blasphemy. That's the way we think. That's, see, that's our version of masculinity. And Jesus wasn't that. I'm not saying he wasn't masculine. But not in the way the world wants him to be. He goes out there. He's like David. He goes out there with full confidence that what? God is on his side. Because what does David say? I'll go slay this uncircumcised blasphemer. Who is this? Who is this person blaspheming the name of God? Out of the mouth of babes. This is what the king should have been saying. This is what the generals should have been saying. This is what the captains of the army should have been saying. This is what the soldiers should have been saying. They should have been lined up to go shut the mouth of God's enemy. No, they cowered in fear and God sent a boy and he empowered that boy to go out there to defeat that giant so that God could get all the praise. It wasn't to praise David. David was praised, but it was to praise God because God had ordained David to give him praise in that situation. when we take the time to step back and this is probably because we we probably have not developed the act of meditation that is I'm all for reading the Bible. I'm all for reading it systematically. I'm all for reading it with a calendar and all those things. But we can not do that at the expense of meditating upon what we read. That when we spend time reflecting upon the majesty of God's name, how he's displayed his splendor in the earth, and then, be, you know, again, because you could, you know, uh, you know, throw out your TV. Okay, throw it out. But, but there are also ways to use the TV to show God's splendor in his creation. I love watching those shows that display the, the mountain ranges, the Alps, the, just the... <laughs> The glory of the jungle, the Amazon, the European, um, uh, just the, the, the world, the world is impressive. It's impressive. Brothers and sisters, it's staggeringly impressive. It's 
splendor. It is full of splendor and wonder. And, and, and all of that should cause us to what? Praise him. That God that created all that made you and me. And you can say there is a dignity over that creation. Well, guess what? He placed you over that creation as his emissary to do what? To bring the world into that dominion subjection so that it all praises his name. That's why we study the sciences. That's why we want to do math. That's why we want to be an engineer. That's why we want to be surgeons. That's why we want to do those things that, that give God glory. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to accomplish great things because God made you in one sense over a great creation to do great things. And, I'm, and that means even being a husband and a father and a mother Raising children, those are great things. And doing that well, brothers and sisters, requires work. It requires work. It don't come naturally. I think for the homeschool generation, this is lacking. We have to teach the wonders of God's creation. We have to teach the importance of the sciences that he has revealed that help us understand his creation so that we can act in the name of the Lord and have a sphere of limited sovereignty and glory and power and use these skill sets and these formulas and, and, and all of these sciences to bring about in a greater majesty to God's glory. This isn't over. We're, we're at the beginning. We're at the beginning. Untold, untold glory out there, I believe, to waiting to be harnessed. And we ought to raise up our young men and our young women. We ought to raise up people to understand this psalm and other passages of Scripture so that they might walk in that role faithfully with worship in their hearts. Well, that's all we have for this evening. Let's close in prayer and I can take questions if you have them. Father in heaven, we are limited in what we know and understand. And in this psalm just highlights the expanse of your glory and knowledge. And, and Lord, what we can in your name and by your spirit achieve. Lord, you created us for this purpose. You made us for this work. And though all of us aren't equal, Lord, we can, we can equally honor, love, adore, and worship you. And do our best, Lord, in what you called us to do. Whatever that is, let us do it to your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.